And now we're pleased to bring you our feature presentation. How's it going, everybody? And welcome back to the Parish Pump Podcast. Councillor Dermot Daisy O'Brien here with you again, bringing those global perspectives, those insights, those interesting approaches to local politics. We've been off the agenda quite a bit recently with all the national stuff that's going on, but it's always relevant across the board. And today I want to particularly do a quick, short-ish episode on the world of attitudes. Uh, at the moment we have this, we have three big political parties in Ireland vying for power, because power is the reason why people get into politics, I suppose. Um, and while doing that, they are trying to influence us. And in their methods of influence, well, it feels a little bit like, you know, the combat sport of politics has a no hold barred dimension at the moment. So each party in their own way, Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin are looking to tell the public that they are the ones who should lead. Um, and they are also, I suppose, to be fair, in some way or another, telling the public why the others should not lead. And within that is this mishmash of information, of attitude. Um, there's stuff about integrity, there's stuff about past experiences um, and there's really this kind of sense of uh, the battleground where the media play a role in uh, influencing and helping and well helping I don't know but definitely influencing people to decide um, or to what to consider when they want to decide who should lead them. So in the ballot box people made a decision on who they want to lead. Ultimately, that left us with three parties more or less on the same level. Uh, obviously, Sinn Féin won the popular vote. Um, but now it's the, the negotiation time. So who will work with who? Who is willing? Uh, what's involved in that? Uh, how much compromise uh, is required? Um, and always, I would say that when those who are in power are in a space where they may have to give up power, then they tend to cling on a wee bit. Whereas those who have never been in power, it's an aspiration um, and it's something that they are coming to the table uh, with a, probably a more open um, and ambitious approach uh, with, in one sense, nothing to lose and in another sense, uh, demanding a space at the table because of the mandate they receive from the electorate. Um, and within all of that, we have... Yeah, people playing different roles, whether it's on social media, whether it's on print media, national media. Um, we are being bombarded with the reasons why and the reasons why not. And that kind of sparked me into thinking about this um, the piece of work that I did a long time ago with a group of young people in Bray uh, looking at global issues mainly. But it's something that I've used uh, in my work in social justice um, teaching and in youth work um and it's something, it's, it's, it's like a spectrum. So it's the attitudes spectrum. And it's fascinating because how we use it in our work is that 
when you when you're presented when you're with a group and you're bringing a piece of uh, knowledge or you're there's a learning happening uh, or you're doing a workshop and it's about change um, and perhaps about a big issue in society and how the young people or, or the group in any sense adults or young people um, where they're at at the start and where you are trying to bring them to if this is an education experience or a learning experience and we developed um we did it with a group of young people uh, i was involved in a youth club that we used to do issues nights within the youth club and on issues night we would bring up an issue a global issue usually and try and have an experiential uh, workshop with the young people in the club so that they would have a a time a moment to really just get stuck into a, a big issue like child labor uh, like slavery or racism um and we would spend the, the youth, like a, an evening in the youth club, just diving in. And usually it would involve um, experiential learning. So there'd be, we would try and tap into their sensory understanding of the issue, their auditory understanding of the issue. We would do storytelling. Uh, we would try and replicate some, on some level, the experiences of, of people across the world who might be struggling or, or having tough times. Um, but we were reflecting on that. We were asked to do a piece at a at a seminar, a conference many years later, and we were reflecting on the how of that. How was it? It became such a really important feature in the club. And um, when we were invited to speak at a conference about how we've maintained this kind of development education piece within our voluntary youth club over many, many years. And while we were unpacking it, we discovered that what was a really important dimension within the work was that when a group of young people could be 60 70 teenagers are in a room and they're going to do a piece of work on on the child labor shall we say and um, we have to accept the as those who are delivering the workshop that within the group there are lots of different young people with different attitudes and their start point could be completely different um, for any of the young people in the group. And yet it's our job to try and take them on a journey of learning where they can have new information, new knowledge, or maybe be stimulated to change their attitude uh, slightly. But And ultimately, obviously, our goal in our youth work was to develop young people who want to be part of change making, who, who believe in equality in the world and who are willing to fight for that. Um, and it kind of just that. So we developed this model, and within it there are six stages. And how it works is that we would say that in any group that's in front of you, whether it's a group of students, a group of adults, a group of community activists, a group of young people, a group of children, um, that we developed this model that suggests that there are six, at least six different types there. And why we identified these six different types was to give us a sense of the type of movement we are trying to stimulate in our workshops. Um, and and the, this movement is also happens in society. It happens with the influence that comes from the news, social media, conversations in coffee shops um, or events that you might attend uh, on particular topics. So the six different areas, I'm going to go through them because we, and we also defined it as a spectrum because along a spectrum, we might find ourselves and we may move depending on what uh, influence uh, comes to bear. So within this uh, attitude spectrum, we have a, at one, at one far end, we have the antagonist. And we all, you know, from the movies that there's a protagonist and antagonist. And the antagonist is someone whose start point is either consciously or unconsciously, I don't care. Or I'm 
actually fundamentally against this. Um, so they are really a force against the positive change that you might be hoping to stimulate. So that's the antagonist. They are at the far end of the spectrum. Alongside the antagonist is uh, the indifferent. And someone who's indifferent is someone who kind of feels this is nothing to do with me. And if we kind of, so we, you know, if we look at society or, or a recent uh, issue, an early issue I had as a, as a local county councillor, uh, I got to visit uh, traveller halting sites around the Bray area. And I could go into a traveller halting site that's essentially a third world experience in, in the first world. And that has an impact on me because when I look around on the absence of running water, the absence of toilet facilities, the absence of things that are quite normal in most people, the vast majority of people's lives um, and, and a small minority of people in our community are living in that reality. So I could go, you know, go go back into the town or meet up with some people that evening for a cup of tea and have the chats and I might tell them about that. And they might say, eh, that's nothing to do with me. I am indifferent to that because they don't have to wake up the morning in the morning with that reality. They're not faced with it um, and it's not in their daily lives. And maybe they even might decide I've got plenty of other things going on. Um, so they will be indifferent. Alongside the indifferent is the bystander. Um, and the bystander is kind of different. And we use that word often in terms of when we discuss bullying. Let's say that when we're working with children and we're trying to understand the roles that are played when a bullying scenario is happening and the bystander is someone who's watching, they're observing. And on some level, they feel that there's nothing I can do about this or they feel and, and that can be uh, they feel that they don't have the power to do something about it or that they haven't got the capacity to think enough or to, uh, to identify that there's something they can do about it. So they're watching. They know what's happening. They see it, but what level they're processing it or to what degree um, it's stimulating them to, to play a role um, is is not clear. But but what we what we observe is that they are just a bystander. Uh, so, again, if we take if we if we take a social issue, um, housing is a big one where we know there's a housing crisis in Ireland today and it affects all pretty much all levels of society in different ways. And it feels like it's an overwhelming issue. Um, and yet we all see it. So if we see it and yet, you know, we hear politicians arguing about what can be done or can't be done. And we hear government powers saying we are doing the doing is happening. You just have to wait. Um, and it almost feels like we are bystanders for that because there's nothing we can do about it. Um, and yet when it comes to an election, as we saw, I would propose that people decided there is something we can do about it, and that is make a different choice about who we give our vote to. So again, that's a bystander who has been observing and realizes and identifies that there is something I could do, and I'm going to do that. Um, alongside the, the, the bystander, then, is this, the next one is the sympathizer. And a sympathizer is quite interesting because that's uh, we live in a very emotively stimulated world where uh, marketing is such a prevailing thing that we are always um, bombarded with things that are trying to make us feel something um, and not much beyond that. So if you feel something, then you might buy something. If you feel something, then you might click something. 
Um, and the sympathizer in the attitude spectrum is someone who feels um, and they might see um, you might see a news report again, another big issue in our in our society, the health crisis. And they might see a news report where um, there's people, old people on trolleys in a hospital Um and again, that's the, the in the public health service that an old person presents to a hospital or has a situation and there isn't enough beds and the hospital doesn't have capacity for all the reasons. And a news report or a, or a primetime investigation um, documentary is, is um, created where you get to an insight into uh, the world, the health service whereby old vulnerable people are on trolleys in corridors. And that makes you feel something. And the sympathizer would feel sad about that situation. And they would really just tap into the emotion of that. And perhaps um, where the sympathizer is challenged is what when it's when it's over, um, what are you feeling then? Does the feeling fade? So if you're a sympathizer and you and it's and you really only have the space to say, Oh, isn't that sad? Like that is devastating. That, you know. And then they scroll down, you know, and I think that's the risk of the sympathizer, that you will express the sympathy, you will feel the sadness, um, but there isn't an action that comes after that, or you don't feel like there's an option or an invitation to do something after you feel the sympathy. Um, and that's why the next one on the in the spectrum is the empathizer. And um, we talk about it enough now, and, and it's it's really great that we talk about it uh, in terms of differentiating between sympathy and empathy, because the empathizer uh, takes consciously decides to imagine how it feels for the person in the situation. So it's not necessarily about the feelings that are triggered in terms of that sad. They're actually consciously saying, "What what is that like for that person who is on that trolley? Um, and they want and choose to feel um, or to imagine what it feels like to be in that situation. And again, that could be, um, you, it could be some, so let's take another example in society in Ireland nowadays, racism. Um, so we have statistics and the data tells us that there is increased levels of, of racial abuse in Ireland. Um, and you might, you might hear a story about uh, somebody who's racially abused on a bus, let's say, or see a video that's been taken of that and that will never happen to you because you might be white um, and yet if you have empathy you will challenge yourself to imagine what it's like to be in that situation where you are that person and the feelings and emotions that might happen for that person in that situation and that empathy then gives you a sense of what it's like to be them and then beyond that the feeling is real in terms of saying that's might be not okay and that's uncomfortable and that's not the society that I want to be part of and if you're open to feeling empathy then then you are triggered to wonder about the, someone's rights in that situation or the behavior of the perpetrator of the racist act and how you um, are in a society where that happens and what it then does to challenge your own values and your own view of the world and you often perhaps will imagine if I was in that situation, because now I know, because I've decided to imagine and wonder what it feels like to be in that situation, be the victim of that situation, what would I do if I was in that situation? Or if I happened to be, if we scroll back a bit, the bystander, 
um, and I've activated my empathy, then maybe I won't be a bystander. Maybe I will engage on some level. And that engagement could be um, during the event or after the event where you might make connection with the person who's been victimized um, and reassure them that that's not who you are or reassure them that that's not the society you want. Or you might intervene uh, in a moment where a, a racist act is happening uh, to try and distract or minimize the impact of it. Uh, you might tackle the perpetrator if that's something that you're confident about, or you might identify um, who the, can connect with the whoever's in charge of the of the bus and say we need to you activate your own um protocols for this scenario so but within all that if you choose empathy then you're choosing um to imagine what it feels like to be in that situation and if you then want the world to be a better place and you are interested in things like the common good um, and you believe that everyone is entitled to respect and dignity then your empathy will challenge you um and the next stage, the final stage in the spectrum of attitudes is empathy actor. Um, and you're moving then. So this attitude um, or this empathy, uh, this willingness to feel empathy may then stimulate you to say, I know I've imagined what it feels like to be in that situation. I accept and realize that it's wrong, that this situation should not be happening. And I am willing to be involved in the change that is required for that not to happen anymore. Um, and that's a, a big challenge. And we, again, if we pick another issue in society of like climate, um, we could we could fly along. You could pick a group of random people off the street. Um, if we zoom back out of the spectrum, we pick, let's say, 50 people off Main Street Bray at random, pull them into a room. And you're standing up the top and you want to talk about climate, the climate um, crisis in the world at the moment. Uh, within those 50 people, you must be guaranteed that there is an antagonist, that there is someone who's indifferent, that there is a bystander, a sympathizer, an empathizer and an empathy actor. And our, I think the fundamental challenge is that with there is a why for each of those levels. And it's our job, if we are the ones on any level who are who are saying, let's gather together and discuss this, then it's our job to accept that there is a why behind each and every person's place on the spectrum. And then beyond that, it's our job and challenge if we are educators or if we are uh, part of, if we take on a role that is about the positive movement away from antagonism to empathy action, um, then we have to accept that that's that's a piece of work that we're that we can take a responsibility for, and within that, um, there's people will justify. So it's it's there's a subtle point there. If 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 I go into a room and there's antagonists there, and I just preach at them, and I just patronize them and say you're wrong, and and in order to be right, you need to agree with me. What's the instinct going to be for a person in that scenario? It's to say, well, actually, bug on. Um, if you're going to patronize me, then I'm going to feel that. And if you and, and if that feeling is negative, then I'm going to react with a feeling. And it's not going to be, oh, my God, thank you so much for exposing me to myself and how ignorant I am. How do I sign up to be you or to be on your page? Thanks so much. 
Um, that's not how it works. That's not how change in attitudes works. I think what we need to commit to is the conversations that on some level accept we, where people are at and on another level uh, invite them to explore where else they might be or show them examples of other people who have moved away um, from certain points in the spectrum and found themselves somewhere more positive. And that's a, a gift that I get in my, especially in my youth work, where uh, people recognize their journey from antagonist or indifferent to empathy actor. And the, the journey isn't, wasn't passive, it was active, it was being involved in uh, education, it was being open to learning new things, it was taking a responsibility for doing the research um, and exploring all the different points of view and on some level being open to the influence. Um, and I think that's the biggest challenge of all. If we and and it's a, an expression I use all the time is this idea of leave no one behind. And I th if we do that, if we write people off, if we talk about you know carbon tax but don't recognise fuel poverty as an issue, then then we're writing people off, uh, and that's risky. Um, and. I think the, the final challenge in all of this is that if you f find yourself in the space where you are an empathy actor and you've embraced that, um, what you have in our modern society now is the bombardment of all the issues. And it's really the, difficult to maintain your empathy when amnesia is waiting around the corner, when there's something that wants to distract you or help you or you know encourage or somehow manipulate you to forget about that big issue. Um, and and there are forces out there that want you to forget about big issues uh, and move on to consuming and buying stuff and stimulating yourself and pursue your pleasure rather than this uncomfortable world of change. Um, and there's the other scenario of the, the next big issue that lands uh, or when people start telling you, you shouldn't be interested in animal welfare, you should be interested in Climate change, that's more important. Or you shouldn't be interested in transport. That's not the biggest issue of the day. The health service is the biggest issue of the day. Stop wasting your time uh, talking about this or that because this or that is more important. Um, and that's a huge challenge. And then it becomes overwhelming. And the, the, the risk is that we opt out of change making. Um, and then society loses. Um, so this competing narrative for what's the most important issue of the day is, is part of the challenge and if you're in the change making world as an educator or trying to be an influencer for positivity um, then again part of it is accepting that some people are drawn to if we didn't have if you if one way to look at it and this is the final thing i'll say is that if we look at all the charities that are all around us in our communities and recognize that people are driving that work because of their own personal passion for the, the, the extra support or the change that's required in that field. Um, and if we removed all of them tomorrow, um, then we'd be looking at a, a society breakdown uh, at a catastrophic level. That, that, and we, I think we need to appreciate the value, the added value of charity organisations and what they bring. Um, but we also need to be challenged about uh, how do we support and sustain their involvement in our society for, and the good that comes with that? So I wonder where you are on the attitude spectrum and I wonder where you'd like to be. And I invite you to choose how you can move in a positive direction. 
and enjoy that movement. Thanks so much for listening in. All the best. <laughs> <laughs>